Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Matthew chapter 8. And in a moment, we'll read verses 14 through 17. Hello to everybody watching online and watching at Cove. This morning, we're going to kind of conclude this section Matthew has on Jesus's healing ministry in this part of scripture. We've seen up to this point, if you've been kind of with us, if you haven't, I'll catch you up to date. We've seen him heal the physically unclean. We've seen him go to the social outcast. And now Matthew gives us a picture of Jesus restoring the culturally marginalized. As we've looked um, at the healing ministry of Jesus, we've been confronted with the reality that people needed healing in Jesus's day. It's because their sickness was beyond them and it was really beyond anything the doctors of the day could help them with. And as I've seen the compassion of Jesus has on each sick person he encounters, it's made me personally kind of just think a lot about sickness and healing over the last couple of weeks as Ross has preached and as I've prepared this message today. It impacts um, so much about our life, right? In Jesus's day and today, it impacts almost everything we do. It impacts our schedule, our hopes, our dreams, our finances, our worries, our anxieties. As soon as somebody in our life or in our family or even ourselves gets sick, it kind of becomes the story we begin to tell about ourselves. It can be as small as having a kid having a fever or a cold. And I know if you're a young parent in this room, like that does not seem small ever, right? Or it can be um, even larger than that. I think back to when my kids were sick early on, people would often come up to us right away and say, hey, how is Anna feeling? Or how is Ellie feeling? Are they better from their sickness? But sometimes I think the sickness and the suffering we experience can be weightier, right? It can be the loss of vision, the loss of hearing. It can be a sickness that lingers and just won't go away. It can be depression, mental illness. It can be a cancer diagnosis that we, leaves us with more questions than answers we have for. And what happens whenever sickness and suffering touch our lives or touch the lives of those we love, it becomes the dominant story of our lives. If someone's talking to us, I think the first question they ask us is about that condition, about that sickness, about that person. And they do that often because they care deeply about us. They ask, how is blank doing? Any updates on sickness? Have the doctors given you any hope? And all of a sudden, sickness and suffering almost define who we are and what we do, right? So when we look at this passage today, we see Jesus once again move towards the sick and bring healing. And, and I would say something that Matthew is doing in this passage is so significant. And this will drive kind of throughout the whole sermon is there is an immediate need that we see Jesus meeting, but there's something ultimately greater Jesus is doing through this ministry. There's something ultimately greater. And in our lives, when there is sickness and when there is suffering, it feels very immediate, right? It feels very urgent. It feels very important to us in that moment. And we can be assured those are true for Jesus, but there is an ultimate thing he is also always doing in the midst of sickness and suffering. So if you have your Bibles, let's read Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. If you don't have a copy of scripture, it'll be on the screens this morning. This is what Matthew records for us. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law, that's Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. 
he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and she began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out spirits with a word and all and he healed all who were sick. And this was, was, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. So right away, we're told by Matthew that Jesus enters a house. It's one of his disciples' house, Peter's house. And he went, when he enters, he sees Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever in bed. Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount and his teaching is flowing into ministry. And once again, his ministry is at center stage here. But something different is happening in this passage than probably the two previous passages we've looked at. In the first story, we see a man with leprosy. And that man with leprosy comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can heal me. And we see the compassionate, willing savior say, I will. Then in last week's passage, we see that Roman soldier, right? And he goes up to Jesus and and there's been like a delegation sent on behalf of this soldier. Then the soldier comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, I'll come to your house. I'll heal your servant. But you know what he tells the Roman, or the Roman soldier tells him, hey, I'm a man under authority. You have authority. If you speak the word, I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus marvels at this man's faith. But this time it's different. There's no request that Matthew records. He doesn't picture Peter or Peter's wife coming to Jesus as soon as he enters the house, pleading with them to heal his mother-in-law. No, what's different is Jesus enters the room and he sees someone. And before he heals them, we're told he sees them. And, and she was sick with a fever. And I know that's easy to dismiss, but as far as I know, like they didn't have ibuprofen, okay? They didn't have Advil. Like that's not, you can't just be like, hey, here you go. Like this was a sickness that was plaguing her and causing her not to be able to live her life in a normal way. And as Jesus sees her, he extends mercy to her. He extends willingness to her. He has compassion on her. And we're told that he goes to her and what does he do? He touches her hand. This is a big deal by itself. Jesus didn't even have to touch her to heal her. We're told later that he just speaks a word and all those who were sick were healed. But instead, Jesus sees her. He moves towards her. He touches her hand. And to touch somebody with a fever, even in that day, by tradition, could have defiled yourself. But yet what we see is this, that Jesus is not defiled when he touches her hand. No, he touches the defiled and he brings healing right away. And the result is so special. Matthew tells us that right away, as she is healed, the fever leaves her and she gets up. And what does she do? She begins to serve them. It's not a spectacle. There isn't a bunch of fanfare around this healing. She doesn't run out of the house telling everybody, hey, look at what's happened to me. No, she just begins to serve Jesus. I often wonder if Matthew doesn't record this part of scripture, would we even know that Peter's mother-in-law had been sick? It was personal. It was private. And it completely changed her. She could go back to what she loved to do. She could go back to her kitchen and she could go back to serving and loving the Lord. 
I think it's what probably most people who are sick have in common. They just want some sense of normalcy to come back, right? Because often it's the sickness and the suffering that impacts our day-to-day life. When you're sick or someone you love is sick, you long for things to return the way they were. To just a normal everyday routine. That was it for Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus came to her and restored her life back to normalcy. And it's a good reminder to us when we just look at this part of the passage that Jesus really did come to the sick. He really does come to the hurting. He really does come to the broken. He really does come to us and he sees the state that we are in and he longs for something better for us. He longs for things to be different for us. And I know this is true for many in this room, many watching at Cove this morning. There are moments he comes and they're in the secret moments, the quiet moments, the moments where his grace and his mercy minister to us in special ways, ways no one else is see. But it's his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his tender touch that begin to change everything about us. And when we experience the Lord Jesus in this way, we will gladly rise up like Peter's mother-in-law and we will serve him. And what happens next isn't surprising. I mean, word has spread now about Jesus' healing ministry. So people bring all who were demon oppressed, all who were crushed by spirits and all who were sick and Jesus heals all of them. With just a word, his healing showed, showed his amazing authority again. And I love verse 17. Because in verse 17, Matthew is actually adding an Old Testament prophecy to give us commentary on why Jesus is doing this. Yes, it's because he has deep love for people. And yes, it's because he has the authority and power to do that, right? But he's actually doing this in Matthew to fulfill prophecy. Matthew wrote, Jesus did this to fulfill what had been spoken. The prophecy was this, that he took our illness and he bore our diseases. And this is the little verse of scripture from Isaiah that we'll actually spend the rest of the morning in. And and there's some who've wrongly read this verse, okay? They've read this verse and they've thought to themselves, well, then if you're a Christian, it's God's will, will for you to always be healthy because Jesus has taken all of our sickness. But if that's the application of this passage, we run into really major problems, right? Because then when we're sick, we start to ask questions. When we're experiencing suffering in our world, we start to ask real questions. When sickness isn't cured, we wonder, is it because I didn't pray enough? We wonder, is it because I didn't fast enough? We wonder, is it maybe because I'm not actually in Christ? And if you think the verse means all who are Christians are healed and will always be healthy and suffering won't touch their life, that's a natural application of this verse. But I don't think that's the correct way to view this verse in the light of what scripture says. See, Matthew is connecting Isaiah's prophecy to Jesus's healing ministry for a reason. He's showing us this, that Jesus has the power Jesus has the authority. Jesus has the ability to overcome all our sickness and all our suffering. He's helping us realize that Jesus's miracles are actually doing more than just healing people in that moment. They're actually pointing us to where he wants to take the world. In some ways, his healing ministry points us back. 
points us back that before there was rebellion and sin in the world to the Garden of Eden, where people had first perfect relationship with God, that he longs for that again. In some ways, Jesus's miracles are a restoration to the way things should be. Jesus is undoing the unnatural things of the world, the demonic things of the world, the wounded things of the world, and he's pointing us back to the way things should be. But they're not just pointing back. They're also pointing us forward. Just a few verses earlier, Matthew wrote this in Matthew 8, 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is letting people into something that, that, that all who had lived during the time of the Old Testament, all who had lived during the time of the New Testament longed to see that someday that God is going to come and he is going to rule and reign with his people. And when Christ comes back and his rule and reign is established forever, he will heal everything. And when that happens, when we come to that day we just sang about in worship this morning, it will be like a great feast. The healing ministry of Jesus is pointing us to a day when there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more fights, no more suffering, no more tears, and no more death. When I was studying this passage, Tim Keller helped me think about it this way. He said that Jesus's miracles prove he is no happier with the way things are than you and I are. I'll say it one more time. Jesus's miracles prove that he is no happier with the way that things are than you and I are. Jesus gives a foretaste about what he's eventually about to do. And friends, this gives us permission to care, to hope against hope, to long for things to be different when sickness and suffering come our way. It lets us look at sin and suffering and pain and say, this is not how it should be. It lets us look at injustice and the brokenness in the world and long to do something about it. When Jesus begins his miracle ministry, it reminds us that this is not how the world's supposed to work. And it also allows us to pray really sincere prayers. It allows us to open our heart up to the Lord and say, Jesus, I long for this to change. Lord, I am hurting and my friends are hurting and my family members are hurting. And I'm asking that once again, you would do something here. It allows us to minister to people and to teach the word correctly about Jesus' healing ministry because we can know this, that our heart is connected to the heart of Christ. Because ultimately Jesus came to do more than just heal us of our sickness. Now there was a greater work he was doing. There was a greater ministry he was doing. And it's what Isaiah says. It's what Matthew's quoting in Isaiah 53. So let's look at that together. He says, who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up with him like a young plant and like a root from dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And this is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and he was not esteemed. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But it was he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And by or with his wounds we are healed. Friends, his miracles are a sort of pattern in the ways that he came to save us. The fact that Jesus is a real person in a real time, in a real place in history, reminds us that Jesus doesn't just heal from a distance. He's not just a superhero, right, who came to save the day. No, he's God with us. And the greatest miracle of all is probably the miracle of the fact that he became like us, the incarnation. John chapter 1, verse 14 writes it this way. The word here is Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Son through the Father, full of grace and truth. When Eugene Peterson was writing about this passage, he said it's almost like, he he paraphrased it this way, that God moved into the neighborhood. And it's in his taking on flesh. It's in his coming to the neighborhood that Jesus becomes vulnerable. In some ways, it's in his bearing our illness and sickness that we see how he's undoing all our brokenness. Jesus came to be like us, to bear our brokenness because he loves us. It's his miracles, patterns at work. Friends, it's strength through weakness. That's why Paul would later write and reflecting on Christ, these words in Philippians 2, chapter or 2, verses 5 through 9, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. But taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. And it's at his death, and his work at the cross that we see Jesus address our greatest problem, the problem behind the rest of problems, the problem of sin. All, all suffering, all sickness, all pain in the world is connected to sin. It's connected to the fall. As we look back to Genesis chapter one, we see that everything is good and there's perfect fellowship with God. But by Genesis chapter three, what we see is this. That, that sin enters the world and suffering follows closely. And as we are well aware, we live in a world marked by sin and suffering, sickness and pain. But I think it's great news for us today that Jesus didn't come to just deal with our sickness and with our pain. No, he came to defeat our greatest enemy, sin and death. And he defeats that enemy by going to the cross on our behalf. Jesus provides the healing that you and I need the most at the cross. He heals our souls. I mean, that's it, right? How cruel would it be if Jesus just healed our physical suffering but didn't deal with our eternal suffering? How cruel would it be if Jesus healed that condition that we long for, but our souls are still broken, they're still empty, they're still hopeless? Their souls would be completely restored. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what Jesus still does today. 
So when you are walking through sickness, when you are walking through pain, when you are walking through suffering or somebody you love is, you know where you go? You go straight to the cross and you see your savior there and you remember what he's doing on your behalf. I think the miracles in Matthew's gospel are intended to give us a picture of the fulfillment of God's kingdom that when Christ is here, he will fully and finally assert all his authority over all the earth. But until that day, here's what we know. We live in a world of pain and suffering, of sickness and then death. And it's okay to ask the question, what do I do with that? I have suffering on my own, right? But there's been moments in my life that suffering has come and it's marked my life. I remember when uh, my wife and I first got married and longed to have kids. And we saw multiple miscarriages back to back to back. And then years of infertility. And it left us with more questions than we had answers for. It left us weeping and sad and broken. It left us wondering, God, why is this happening? I have an eye condition. I've prayed for healing. I've asked doctors to help with, and I've had great doctors. And in so many ways, I haven't had what I fully hoped for, fully restored vision. There's been sacrifice, prayer, encouragement, but the full restoration of my vision just hasn't happened yet. I've longed for Jesus to touch my eye and heal it. I've had family members who have been sick this last year, ended up in the hospital, prayed for their healing, and they ended up in death, even one of them, sudden death. In the times, friends, just in a moment of vulnerability, it leaves me sometimes with more questions that I alone have answers for. And there's friends I prayed for with tears that their pain would go away that the sickness would end, that Jesus would do something miraculous and it hasn't happened. And maybe it's something you and I have in common this morning that we've been touched by pain, disappointment, sickness, and suffering. And while our souls have been completely restored with God because of the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, our hearts are broken at times. And we wonder why. I'll remind you of something I mentioned earlier, that Jesus coming to earth, taking on human flesh, bearing all our sickness and disease reminds us that when sickness, injustice, pain, suffering touches our life, that Jesus cares deeply about those things. Just because we follow him doesn't mean we're immune from that, right? Two chapters later in Matthew, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, if you're serious about this, if you're gonna follow me, know that you will be flogged, betrayed, hated, and persecuted in the world. And his teaching on suffering and pain isn't isolated just to the gospels. We see later Paul kind of expanding on this in his letters to the early church. And maybe some of these verses would be verses that you would hold on today with whatever you're walking through. Philippians 1.29, he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but you should suffer for his sake. Colossians chapter one, verse 24, man, I think there's times I can say this, but there's times that it's harder to say it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake 
And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 says this, that we were afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body in the body, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. In other words, that our pain, our suffering, our brokenness is meant that people would see Jesus's pain, his suffering, his death for our brokenness, and that his life will be manifested through our lives. Philippians chapter three, verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And there's so many other verses. And nowhere in scripture does it say, because your soul is healed, you're saved from your own sickness. Maybe the Bible gives us a greater hope, a greater promise, because Jesus dealt with the root of all our suffering. We know this, that we do not have to be fearful of any sickness, any illness, any disease that comes our way, that no matter what we face, that no matter how bad it is coming, that there is a day where death, mourning, crying, pain will be no more. So what Jesus allowed John to see, and John wrote this in Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain in any of the former things. Those verses are amazing. Our suffering's hard. And that's what Ross said a few weeks ago that there's moments that he talked about the power outlet if you were here with his son's computer, but I'll just say it this way. Like there's moments where we think if I just have more faith, something would change. But maybe just knowing that if we can just touch Jesus and hold on to him, he holds us even deeper and stronger. His strength will not let us go. So we don't have to turn away from suffering. We don't have to be ashamed of our suffering. We don't have to run from our suffering. No, instead, in the midst of our suffering, here's what I would just, I would hope for you, that you could experience that rich and that deep joy that the Bible says we can experience. I mean, there is immediate suffering that happens, right? And it really can just change our lives forever. But there's an ultimate question that we can ask God, what are you trying to do in me and through me during the suffering? Because I would say this, that in the middle of sickness and in the middle of suffering, we experience parts of Jesus that we wouldn't without that pain and without that suffering. There are things that I've experienced in my life that I would wish on none of you, okay? None of you. Where the pain is too much, And there aren't even words for that. But I will also say this, that I have never met anyone who has had significant spiritual growth in their life apart from some sort of suffering. And I'll just say this. If you are in the middle of suffering, if someone you deeply love is suffering or sickness took their life or death touched you in a way that you never thought it would, that matters. If you lost someone to sickness or disease, it wasn't wasted. And as hard as it's been, man, my hope is this for you today, that 
Jesus still comes near to you. He still enters that space, that private, quiet space that nobody else sees. And he touches your heart. And that's where he does his very best work. Because as much as we think in the midst of suffering, we just need a healer. The Bible holds out something better for us. We don't just need a healer. We don't just need a miracle worker. No, we need a savior. Someone who can save our soul and mend our broken heart. And so my hope for you is the hope of the gospel. Then in the midst of your suffering, you could be encouraged by these words that Paul wrote in Romans. And these words are words we've read a few times during the sermon series, but see this again in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And that hope, friends, does not put us to shame. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given us. Later, Paul, we write in Romans eight eighteen, for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the future glory to be revealed to us. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he said, for this light momentary affliction, you only get there because God gets you there too to be able to say those words, okay? Because a lot of times affliction feels anything but lighter momentary. But he says this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory behind our comprehension. Owned with this story. As a lot of you know, some of you don't, so I don't mean to surprise you with this, but back in May, my father passed away suddenly. It was right on the verge of my 18th wedding anniversary. I was driving to Chattanooga and uh, I got the phone call from my stepmom that my dad had passed away suddenly, 67 years old. And our relationship wasn't everything we hoped it would be, but it was on its way to repair. So the suddenty of that death really, really hurt. About a week later, I was getting on an airplane with my daughter, Anna, to go to Guatemala. And my cousin, Gabby, who is a Christian, she's married to a worship pastor. She just texted me and said, hey, I'm thinking about you today. How can I be praying for you? And I'll just kind of show you where my weakness was in that moment. So I responded, would you pray for me today and this week? Anna and I are leaving for Guatemala tomorrow morning for her first mission trip. I'm excited about it, but I still feel numbness, confusion, grief with my dad's death. Feeling a little inadequate, and I'll just tell you, really inadequate. I think I just kind of lied there because I wanted to be Superman to preach on Sunday back in Guatemala and to be on mission. Her response was what I needed to hear. She says, Brenton, who's her husband, I will pray for you and Anna. I can't imagine what you're going through, but the Lord is with you because he's close to the brokenhearted. And if your heart's breaking this morning, he's so close to you. He's so near to you. And then she said, his power is perfected when we feel weak, strength through weakness. So don't feel like you have to have it all together. And those precious words from a family member and sister of Christ were reminding me of this again, that Jesus comes to us in our suffering, in our pain, in our sickness, and he works on our hearts. And his power is perfected in weakness. So I close with those thoughts. If suffering, pain, sickness has touched you or a family member, be encouraged. 
Jesus can and does heal. But he does more than that. He saves our soul. He defeats death and sin on the cross once and for all. And I pray this morning that wherever you are, that you would feel his nearness and closeness like never before. Let's pray together. The band's gonna come. They come. Read this verse over you. That's what the apostle Paul said. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verses eight through 10. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Father, there's probably a lot of prayers like Paul's prayer. Lord, we have prayed and prayed and prayed for healing and for change and for something to be different. Lord, what you said to Paul, say to us this morning, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, would your grace just break through this morning and would touch our hearts? Would you deal tenderly with every person in this room? And let us say with Paul that we can boast all the more gladly of our weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon us for the sake of Christ then. Help us be content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for where we are weak, when we are strong. Lord, we believe that, but Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't help our unbelief this morning, and Lord, we just come to the cross with our suffering. We wanna build our life around it. We wanna build our life on your love so that we'll be different the world will be different. Lord, have your way now as we respond in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.